Mark chapter 3. Verses 28 through 30. These are some tough ones today. That's why we save those to be by themselves because they are kind of kind of difficult. And I wanted to kind of spend a little time just on them. Now, what we need to remember when we when we are reading these verses today, which we'll read this whole whole passage uh, that we've been talking about, the house divided. Uh, these words come within this whole passage, so we need to kind of understand them in the context of what exactly uh, is, is going on here with Jesus and these who are coming against Jesus and making this accusation that Jesus is the devil, that he is possessed by a demon. And so that's what we've talked about the last few weeks here in this passage that we've looked at. But this passage, these verses we're looking at today in Mark 3, 28 through 30, these are, these are kind of tough passages. These are, these are kind of hard to understand in some way. And there are different different interpretations of this passage. There are different people who take this passage uh, different ways. But we will uh, look at this passage and try our best to understand exactly what it is saying and how it applies to us and uh, try to listen to these words that Jesus speaks here. So uh, we will uh, read through the passage. We will go ahead and start back in verse 20. We'll go ahead and start back in verse 20 and we will read through verse 30. But We'll only kind of focus on the last few verses there. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him, because, they said, he's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul in him, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rebels against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. On the other hand, no one can enter a strong man's house and rob his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he will rob his house. I assure you, people will be forgiven for all sins, and whatever blasphemies they blaspheme, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. And I pray, God, that you would help me just to focus on your word, dear Lord, that you would help each one in this room to focus on your word and help us to understand. Dear Lord, let your Holy Spirit guide us today and have an understanding of your word. God, let your Holy Spirit convict us today should there be sin in our life that's keeping us from you, dear Lord, that we would deal with those sins, God, that we would repent of those sins, that we would not fall into the same danger here that we read about in this passage. God, I pray that you just would hide me behind the cross. I pray that you fill me with your Holy Spirit right now, dear Lord. I pray that you give each one ears to hear, dear Lord, and a heart to listen. I pray that you would change our hearts, dear Lord, should they need changing. I pray that you would help us to have a heart like yours. And I pray, God, that you help me to, to, to say just the words that you want these people to hear today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, these verses that we look at today are sometimes referred to as the unforgivable sin or the unpardonable sin. That is, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking to uh, these Pharisees about. Now, in the whole context of this passage we're reading, we see what the problem was last week. That is, they said that Jesus had the devil in him. Jesus had cast out demons, and they said it's because he is a demon that Jesus cast out demons. Now, Jesus corrects them by saying that's a stupid argument. That's not logical. Uh, Satan can't be divided against himself if he wishes to do any good. Even if he could do any good against the Lord, he wouldn't do it uh, with, his, with his forces divided. Of course, Satan can't stand against the Lord. But Jesus said, regardless, that's, that's, a dumb, that's a dumb argument. Jesus says, I drive out demons by the finger of God. We see him use that language in some of the parallel texts in Matthew, I believe. He, he talks about he does those things by the, the finger of God, by the hand of God. Jesus drives out demons because he is greater than the demons. He is stronger than the strong man. G uh, uh, Satan was the one who was the strong man who had the world under his control and the world was hopeless because we had no redemption. We had no forgiveness of our sins until Jesus Christ came onto the scene. But now that Jesus has come, uh, the devil and sin and death that once uh, kind of had its way with us and we were hopeless in those things, well, now that Jesus has come, those things are no longer a strength of Satan. Satan can't hold those things against us. Death does not get the final say. Death does not separate us from God for all of eternity, but death now will allow us to be with God for all of eternity if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who is victorious. Jesus has proven to us by his death and resurrection that he is stronger than the strong man. And the strong man has been bound because of Jesus, and we have received freedom as a result of that. And that's kind of the context of what's been going on up to this point in these verses, is that the people were accusing Jesus of being possessed by a demon. Now, this is not uncommon for us to read in the gospel accounts of the New Testament. There are several scriptures. I was able to find seven. There may be more, but I was able to find seven scriptures uh, that are recorded for us where we see that these Pharisees were accusing Jesus of having a demon. Now, some of these may be repeats. That is, uh, a different gospel account may cover the same event and may be repeated. Although it's also very likely that this accusation against Jesus happened several times. We know it happened several times because not all of these events are the same events. Some of them are different. Uh, so it's very likely that in Jesus' ministry, even though some of the details of some of the ones that seem the same, even they may be different. He may have experienced the same type of opposition from a different crowd in a different place with the details being very similar and what he responded to those who were coming against him being very similar. Regardless of some of these are repeats or not, it's pretty clear for us to see through the scriptures that Jesus was always under attack in this way. Now, I'll read a few of these for you. They're all short. It won't take long, but I'll read a few of these different passages for you, and I'll give them to you later. If you want to turn, you can. I'll go through them kind of quick. Uh, but in Ma uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 34, but the Pharisees said he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. When the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man 
uh, drives out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. In John chapter 7, verse 20, it says, You have a demon, the crowd responded, who wants to kill you. Now, in the context of what's going on there in John, is Jesus is trying to get the, the people to turn from Moses who the, the, the people of Jesus' day, many of them, uh, they were really focused on Moses. That is, the law. They wanted to follow the law. They wanted to follow Moses. And Jesus was trying to tell them, look, I am the one who the Old Testament talked about. The law and the prophets, they pointed to me. And they said, look, Moses brought you the law and you didn't want to kill him. And then they responded to him after he had got on them pretty heavy and told them, look, you need to, you need to check your beliefs and what's going on. Then they said, look, he's got a demon in him. Going on further in John chapter 8, verses 48 and 49, the Jews responded to him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I don't have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. So Jesus is telling them there, look, when you make this claim against me that I have a demon, you need to recognize this claim that you're making. He says, look, I have come to bring honor to the Father, and, and you dishonor me. I'm trying to point you to the Father, the very God that sent you uh, all the prophets and all of the law to point you toward me. Those very ones that have told you what to look for would have told you and have showed you through the Scriptures that I am He, the one that you're looking for, and here I come to point you back to the Father, but yet you dishonor me, the Messiah who has come. And so they were saying that de uh, Jesus had a demon, and He was trying to correct them. He was trying to tell them, no, I come by the power of God. John chapter 10, verse 20. Many of them were saying, He has a demon, and He's crazy. Why do you listen to Him? Again, the things that Jesus was preaching and teaching to the Jews of the day did seem crazy to many of them. They were against what they were practicing, what they were teaching others to practice. And should any believe Jesus, here's the type of claim that would come against them. He's crazy. You're crazy. He has a demon. Why in the world would you listen to what he had to say? Now, this is not uncommon in our day and age. Now, people today that we encounter may not say that Jesus was Satan or may not say that he was a demon, but they may very well say, Jesus was crazy. Why do you care what he said? Why are you reading these words? We don't need to pay attention to Jesus. There was nothing special about him. And there are indeed many in this world who would say that today. Perhaps even some in this room who are still trying to struggle and still trying to figure out the truth. I will tell you today, if you are struggling with the truth, Jesus is the truth. He is the way. Jesus' words are true. Jesus' words do point us to the Father. Jesus' words and His life and His resurrection do give us eternal life. And so we come here today to hear the truth, and Jesus is the truth. Now the world may say that Jesus is crazy, and the world may say that you're crazy. But Jesus says that you are walking in the light. Because Jesus says He is the truth, and when we walk in Him, we know the truth. In Luke chapter 11, verse 15, But some of them said he drives out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Plus the passage that we just read in Mark chapter 3. You can see that this attack on Jesus, that he was uh, possessed by a demon or was Satan himself, was something that he paced, play, uh, faced pretty frequently uh, throughout his ministry. And so that, I believe, 
sets the tone for what Jesus is about to say. This accusation that these Pharisees are making against him. And that brings us to the verse that we are studying this morning. It says in Mark chapter 3, verse 28, I assure you, people will be forgiven all sins and whatever blasphemies they may blaspheme. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now, that little verse that, that, that Mark puts on there at the end of that passage of what Jesus said may be a clue to help us interpret this passage. He says, Jesus said these things, why? Because of what they were saying. Now, they were attributing the works of God to the devil. Now, some would say that that's what this passage means when it talks about uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has revealed and shown to you exactly who God is, when you have seen the miracles, when you have experienced Jesus, and you know that God is talking to you, or God has given you every reason to believe Him, and yet you reject Him and refuse to accept Him, then there is no, there is no other help for you. If you reject the Holy Spirit, then what hope remains? There is no one else to convict you of your sins. And so perhaps that is the correct interpretation of this passage, that, uh, that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit occurs when we completely and fully and totally reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the testimony of the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus Christ, who pointed us to the Father. Now, this question is a difficult one for us to look at and maybe contemplate, uh, and maybe even scary for some of us to think about and contemplate. Because the question may arise in our minds when we read a hard text like this, is have I committed such a sin? Because this is pretty scary, because it says, right, that this is an eternal sin, that there is no forgiveness of this sin. So should this be a sin that you and I or anyone else have committed, then therefore we would be hopeless and we would be helpless. Now, there may indeed have been a time in some of your lives where that fear has come into your mind. I can say for sure that that's happened to me. I've read that verse before. My heart kind of sink and think, have I ever done this? Is there something I've done that I have blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Now, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty scary place to be, and some of you may can relate to that. You may have had that thought in your mind before. And I believe that it's good for us. I believe that actually it's great for us to have that fear. Have I sinned against the Lord? Have I sinned against the Lord? God, what have I done? Because generally in my life, in those time or two where I may have thought that and, and said, boy, God, have I, have I done this? It leads to repentance. It leads to me falling down before the Lord and saying, Lord, God, if I have sinned against you, if I have committed such a horrible thing, God, if there's something in my life, God, please don't abandon me. Please don't let this be the case. Now, if you've ever had that experience before, then I will tell you that it's a good thing because it means you're convicted. It means that the Holy Spirit is convicting you that maybe there is sin in your life, that maybe you have turned from the Lord. Now, I do not believe that the Holy Spirit would convict you had you have committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is, if you have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and rejected the Holy Spirit, I do not believe that the Holy Spirit will 
convict you of those sins anymore. I believe that when we harden our heart to a place that we no longer listen to the Holy Spirit's urgings in our life, that we get to a point where we simply do not care about God. We don't care about right and wrong. We don't care about sin. We definitely don't consider repentance because our heart is so hard that we could care less about the Lord. Now we see, I believe, instances of such an attitude in Scripture. One being Pharaoh in Exodus. It says his heart was hardened. Now, God gave Pharaoh plenty of opportunities to turn to him and to listen to him. He saw miracles take place. He witnessed these magnificent events, these natural uh, events that occurred in Egypt. Now, Pharaoh had every opportunity and every reason to believe that there was a God in heaven, an all-powerful, almighty God. But yet he continued in his sin to a point to where it says, his hardness of heart finally caught up with him. I'm paraphrasing there. Finally, God turned him over to his hardness of heart. Now look, God did not make Pharaoh have a hardness of heart. Pharaoh got to that point on his own. God calls Pharaoh to have a hardness of heart, the scripture says, but it's not that God forced that on him. God allowed Pharaoh to make his own decisions, his own sinful decisions, and Pharaoh did just that. He continually rejected the Lord, and as a result of his sins, his heart was hardened. Now, you may could make the case also for King Saul in the Old Testament, who continually did what was evil in the Lord. And as things went on, as things went from bad to worse in his disobedience, boy, King Saul was willing to stop at nothing. He was, he was really an evil man. Now, whether or not he committed a sin of this type that we're talking about today that is unforgivable, I don't know the answer to that. But if he did not, he at least, I believe, was on the right track to follow the same pattern that Pharaoh had followed, to where eventually his sin became so prevalent in his life that he was completely hardened to the Lord and any conviction that may have come from the Lord. So when we read this verse and we see these things, and it may bring some fear to you, if you're afraid you have committed this sin, chances are you probably have not. Because had you have committed such a sin, well, you probably would have no conviction in your life. You would not care that you have committed such a sin because you would think everything was fine and you would be content to continue to live on in your sinfulness. Now Jesus says here in this verse, he says, Look, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they may blaspheme, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. Now, they could have blasphemed against Jesus, the Scripture says, but blaspheming against the, the Holy Spirit was different. Now, they didn't listen to God, who had already appeared to them in mighty ways in the past, there was scriptural evidence in what we call the Old Testament uh, where God had done many things. The people who Jesus was talking to, they had the prophets, they had the law, they had every miracle, that, 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 that or not, maybe not every miracle, but they had plenty of miracles, let's say it that way, that God had done to give them sufficient proof that God exists, but yet they were still not walking faithfully to God and His commands. Now Jesus comes, God in the flesh, the Son of God, here is Jesus, who God sent to, to teach them and to preach them and to try to get them on the right track. 
and they rejected Jesus, or at least many of them did. Not all of them did. There were plenty of people who accepted Jesus, but at least this group in question, these Pharisees, uh, most of this type of group, it doesn't appear that they ever turned to and accepted Jesus. Now Jesus had come to try to get their attention, and they were still rejecting God. They were rejecting Jesus. They were rejecting the Messiah. And Jesus said, look, there's one coming after me, that is the Holy Spirit who will come, and he will convict you of your sins. And if they reject the Holy Spirit, if they don't give in to the Holy Spirit's testimony to Jesus as, as the Savior and God as God, if they reject that, if they reject the conviction, if they refuse to repent, there remains no other forgiveness that there can be. Should we reject what the Holy Spirit speaks into our life, life and the convictions the Holy Spirit puts into our life and we continue to sin in light of that, we may end up in the same boat as Pharaoh did. Now that's a scary thing for us to consider and think about. Because there is no one else coming after the Holy Spirit. We have seen God, we have seen Jesus, and now we have the Holy Spirit who testifies to the Messiah for us. And should we reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit, there remains no forgiveness of sins. Now, we can look at that in a couple of different ways. We could say that it's unforgivable in that even if one committed such a sin and they came to God, that God would not forgive it. And therefore, it's an unforgivable sin. That if someone were to realize, oh no, I've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and said, oh dear Lord God, I realize my ways. I realize I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. God would say, nope, you had your chance. You're not going to be forgiven. And that's one way that we can view that verse. The second way that we could view this verse when it says that there will never be forgiveness of sins is to view it in light of there will never be forgiveness of sins, but not because God will not forgive the person, but because the person who commits such a sin will never get to the point that they will seek the Lord for repentance. Now, either of those could be true, and there are many Christians who fall on either side of the coin. Now, I will say that I tend to lean toward that second interpretation, although I'm still studying through this and trying to wrap my head around it. This is a tough verse. I've been thinking about this verse for years, so uh, maybe I'll come to a conclusion one day. But, but perhaps God will forgive those, even those who do the worst things, should they come to Him. But the problem is is that when we continue in sin, we continue in unrepentant sin, we eventually get to a point where our heart is hardened. We eventually will get to a place, I believe, just as Pharaoh did. And when we get to a point where we no longer desire to listen to anything that God's Word tells us or any conviction that the Holy Spirit puts on our heart, well, we're in danger. I like the King James uh, translation here of this verse where it says in verse 29, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Now, I believe that that may, that may be the correct, the correct thought process. Even though that's not the most literal, that's the way that I tend to look at the passage. Uh, that these that Jesus is talking to here... They are in danger of committing such a sin. Now perhaps, even though it doesn't tell us, perhaps those who are making these accusations against Jesus have already committed such a sin. Or perhaps 
Jesus is saying, woe unto you. You better look out. Warning, 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 caution, caution. You are treading on very thin ice here. You are, you are hearing from, from me, the Messiah, uh, the one that God sent. You are hearing the truth. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to get you to the Father, but you're telling me that I'm Satan. You're, you're on thin ice. You're in great danger of committing this sin. If you don't listen to me, if you don't listen to the one who's coming after me, then you are going to be in big trouble. Now, the same warning would go for us, too. We need to pay attention to our lives. We need to see if there is danger in our life. Are we, are, are we careening down the hill uh, with no brakes, uh, heading towards the edge of the cliff because there is unrepentant sin in our life that maybe the Holy Spirit has convicted us of? Now, we need to check ourselves to make sure we are not in such danger. Now, what the Pharisees here did was a great, a great, great uh, horror to attribute the works of God to, to the devil. Now, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I do not believe, is something that just occurs. Uh, one day you're working in your garden and, and the thought pops into your head. You think about something and you think, well, is there really a God? Well, I don't think that that's what this verse is talking about. What this verse is talking about is deliberate continual rejection of God, of Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit who testifies to them. It's a continual hardness, a continual turning away, saying, God, I refuse to listen to what you have to say. I'm not going to listen to your word. What your words are to me are just as good as what the devil would say. It's to get to a point in our heart where we care so little about Jesus that we care nothing about him at all, that we don't care about him, that we don't worship him, that we don't want to have anything to do with him, that we refuse to accept anything that the word says, that the Holy Spirit places on our heart, that, I believe, is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So I don't believe that that's something that we come to overnight. I don't believe that that's something that can happen in an instance where we have a crazy thought or maybe have a doubt or a lack of faith that pops into our mind. Nor do I believe it's something that occurs because we commit one sin or go through a season of sin. It's something that occurs when we willingly decide that we are going to turn from Jesus Christ and we are not going to listen to what the Holy Spirit puts on our heart and turn from our sinful ways. We come to a point where our heart is hardened to where we no longer have the desire to repent. Now that's a scary thing for us to think about. It's scary because, and maybe there are even some in this room, there are many people in this world who I think are playing this, this game of chicken, if we can call it that, with the Lord. They say, well, I believe there's a God, but I want to do things my way, and, and one day I'm going to ask for forgiveness of sins. When I, when I see that I'm about to die, then, I'm going to, then I'll pray to the Lord. I remember when I was in high school, I remember this young man and, and me and another young man, we were, we were telling him about the Lord and we were sharing Scripture with him and we were trying to lead him to the Lord. And he said, well, if I, if I see something happening, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pray real quick. We said, well, well, what if you don't know when you're going to die? What if the school bus crashes on the way home today? He said, well, as soon as I start seeing it go to the ditch, I'm going to pray that Jesus will forgive me real quick. Well, that's the mindset of many people in this world, not just teenagers at school. 
That's the mindset of many people. But the problem is, and the danger of that is, that if we believe there's a God, and if we believe that there's truth in God's Word, and if we say, well, I'm going to put it off, and I'm going to put it off, and I'm going to put it off, the danger is that every time we do that, we are building up a hardness in our heart, a hardness in our heart, that when that day comes that we are 80 years old on our deathbed, that we don't have the desire to repent because we have built up a hardness in our heart that is so hard that even if we wanted to, we don't want to. Now that's the danger in saying, God, I'm going to come to you one day. I'm going to come to you one day. I'm going to come to you one day. That one day may never come. Today, today is the day of salvation. The day that you hear God's Word, the day that you see Jesus was the Son of God, the day that you see that He died on a cross for you and was resurrected, the day that you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you and letting you know that you're a sinner, the day that you know that this thing that you've been doing and that thing that you've been doing is wrong, and you give in to those things and say, Lord, I repent. Lord, I turn from those things. God, I don't want to do any of those things. That is the day of repentance. That is the day of salvation. It's not a day that we wait till tomorrow or the next day or the next day because we may not have a tomorrow and should we live a hundred years on this world should we continue to not listen to the Holy Spirit there may come a day in our life that the conviction is no longer there now that's a scary thing for us to think about these are strong words this is a hard teaching of Jesus Christ right here but I believe that there is forgiveness of our sins if there's any any fear in your life right now that perhaps you've committed such a sin. If there's anything that's coming to your mind right now that you're saying, oh, I did this. Is that the thing? Well, if you're feeling convicted of it, then praise the Lord. That's not the thing. That's the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit convicts those who can't be saved. I don't believe God's cruel. That would be cruel for God to continue to convict us and then say, well, too bad. You lost your chance. I don't believe that's how God works. I believe if there's conviction in your life and there are things that come to your mind and your heart right now, then you need to repent of those things. You need to come to Jesus. You need to, to listen to the Holy Spirit and, and go to the one he's pointing you to. He's pointing you to Jesus Christ, the Son, and he's pointing you to God, the Father. And praise the Lord if those convictions are in our life. And praise the Lord that he gives us such convictions because those are a reminder that God is not through with us. Now, he doesn't want us to continue to live in our sin for sure, but he wants us to repent of those sins that we have committed. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that's good stuff right there. That's good stuff that God will forgive us of all of our sins and unrighteousness if, if we confess our sins. You see, forgiveness comes through confession. Now when we have hardened our heart to a point that we don't listen to the Lord anymore, there can no longer be forgiveness of sins. There will never be forgiveness of sins. Why? Because God won't forgive us or because we won't confess. Now, I believe that if we confess our sins, that this verse is true, that he will forgive all of our sins. But the danger, I believe, that Jesus was talking about is that we will get to a point that we are so hard that we will no longer confess our sins. 
And should we not confess our sins, there is no forgiveness of sins. If there is no repentance there, there is no forgiveness. Jesus desires for us to confess our sins to him, to come to him, to be covered by his blood, to be forgiven of those sins. He died on a cross to forgive you of your sins. There's nothing too great that you have done that you cannot be forgiven of your sins. But the only thing that you can do that will keep you from being forgiven is not turning to Him, is not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Should you reject the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ until your last dying breath, there will never be forgiveness of sins. There remains no forgiveness of sins, Jesus says. But if we confess our sins, if there's any if there's any conviction in your life, any fear, anything that you know that's just eating you up, that you say, I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't have been doing that, if there's any conviction, then today is the day of repentance. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins. In John chapter 9, verse 41, Jesus had healed a blind man in this chapter. Wonderful chapter, great chapter. Read it as your homework this week. You will love it. It's one of my favorite chapters. Jesus heals this blind man, and the Pharisees refuse to believe him. They continue to ask him, well, what happened? Well, Jesus healed me. Well, who healed you? Well, Jesus healed me. And then a few verses later, yeah, but who healed you? Well, Jesus healed you. Well, what happened? They even called his parents in there. Are you sure this is your son that was blind from birth? Well, his parents didn't want to have anything to do with it. They didn't want to acknowledge Jesus may have done it and get on the Pharisees' bad side. They said, hey, he's old enough. Uh, let him answer for himself. He's a big boy. And they go back and they ask him again. And he said, look, I've told you. I've told you what happened. I told you it was Jesus. And they kept saying, well, this guy's crazy. You know the kind of stuff that they would, they would say. And he said, look, no works like this have ever been done before. When has a blind man ever been healed? He, he, he did it. Look at what he did. And so the Pharisees refused to accept it. And at the end of John chapter 9, John 9, 41, Jesus says this, If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Now he's not talking about physical blindness here. He's talking about spiritual blindness. He says, if you, if you didn't know the scriptures, if you didn't know the prophets, if you didn't know the law, if you didn't know what to look for, and you had no knowledge that a Messiah was coming, he says, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. That is, I can't hold it against you if you've, never, if you've never heard of me. I wouldn't hold it against you that you're coming against me and attacking me. You wouldn't know any better. But the Pharisees, the Jews, they should have known better. Because they had all of God's word that was pointing to them and showing them. And they had Jesus coming and the miracles that were taking place and the demons that were being driven out. And all of those things should have been like, boom, the light bulb goes off. This is the Messiah. But they, were, they should have known those things. And Jesus says, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see your sin remains. Because they thought they saw everything. They thought they understood everything. They thought they had it down to a T. They were following the law. They were dressing right. They were saying long prayers. They were making a big show when they put money in there. They were at the synagogue all the time. Boy, they had everything down right. And if you would have asked them, they would have said, Oh, yeah, we got it all. We know everything. We understand everything. We're going the right way, and we know exactly what the way is, and we're following the way. We see but Jesus says, because you say we see, your sin remains. 
their sin remained because what they saw, what they saw was salvation through the law. What they saw was salvation through Moses. What they saw was salvation through going to the synagogue. What they saw was salvation in long prayers. What they saw was salvation in giving more money. What they saw was, uh, was, was salvation through looking the part. That's what they saw. But guess what? None of those things will f- were offer forgiveness of your sins. And they were trying to find salvation and redemption and deliverance through those things. And Jesus says, because that's what you see, your sin remains. And until the day would come, if the day ever came for these, who knows if it did, until the day came, if it came, as long as people have this view and believe that they're doing ever right and will be justified by those same means of the Pharisees, guess what? They are as blind as they can be and their sins remain. Why? Is it because there's no forgiveness of their sins? Nope. It's because they will not confess their sins. They don't confess their sins because they think they are perfect. They think that they are being justified by their actions. But we are not justified by our actions, nor were the Pharisees. We are justified, we are forgiven, we are delivered, by sal- and, and we are given salvation by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, period. And if we confess our sins... He is faithful to forgive us. Now, I don't want anybody in here to be the ones who are blinded. I don't want anybody in here to be one who who has been deceived and thinking that you're earning good standing with God and salvation from God because of your works. (coughs) We, We don't earn our salvation from anything. But Jesus Christ has earned it, earned it for us on the cross and by his resurrection. And that is who we go to. When we go to Jesus, when our eyes are opened by the conviction and the guiding and the leading of the Holy Spirit, when we get to that point and we see Jesus, wow, we're not blind anymore. We see, and we don't see things of the world. We don't see religion. We see Jesus. We see the very precious Son of God. And when we see him, And when we see our sins, we say, boy, dear Lord, I have sinned greatly against you. And we confess those sins. At least that's what God wants us to do. So what do we do with a a message uh, like this today? Well, it says in in John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, When he, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what do we do when we read tough verses like this and we read hard truths and things that are tough to to wrap our minds around? Well, if there's conviction in our heart, if there's fear in our heart, if there's worry in our heart, if there's something that's in there that God's putting in there that's reminding us us and pointing out and showing us that there's sin and we see that sin now and God has convicted us of that today, when we see that, the solution is simple. Jesus said, repent. For the kingdom of God has come near. Now that was Jesus' message. That's the same message to you today. If you feel convicted, if there's sin in your life, if there's something that shouldn't be there, if you've never turned to the Lord, if you've been living in blindness, thinking that you are saved by your actions and by your deeds, but today... Maybe the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes. If today you realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and there's forgiveness in no one but Him and you want to humbly come before Him and make Him your Lord and Savior and you want to serve Him, then the answer is simple. Repent for the kingdom of God has come near. Many of these people that Jesus was preaching to, the kingdom of God came near to them and He spoke those very words. 
and the kingdom went right on by and they never entered into the kingdom. I don't want anybody in this room to be in that boat. I want you to hear these words. I want you to see what they say. I want you to know that the kingdom of God has come near today. And you can repent and confess your sins and He is faithful to forgive. And you can be part of that kingdom with King Jesus. Or you can let the kingdom pass you right on by. And there may be some in this room, the kingdom has passed you by for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, but you don't have to let it pass you by today. Maybe you've never been convicted today. Maybe, maybe today is the first day that you really feel like, yes, I want to serve Jesus. And praise the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these words. This is tough stuff, God. So help us to consider and ponder and think about these words this morning, dear Lord. I pray, God, that if there's some sin in our life, some things going on, that you would convict us of that, dear Lord. Let us not be afraid, dear Lord, of the sin, that it, it may have taken us away from you. But, God, if we've got that conviction, and if we're afraid in that way, dear Lord, praise, praise you, God, because we know you're still working on us. And so I pray, God, that we would not be those who live in sin and harden our hearts, but that we would be those who see our sin and confess them. And God, I pray that if there's one in this room that has never accepted and followed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today in their heart right now, where they sit, God, that they would confess Him, that they would follow Him, dear Lord, that they would pray to You for, to forgive them, that they would repent, God, and that they would seek You, dear Lord, that they would see that the kingdom of God, that Your kingdom has come near, dear Lord, through Jesus Christ, through salvation that He offers, dear Lord. And I pray that if there's one in this room today that has never accepted Jesus, that today they would enter the kingdom as it has come near, dear Lord. And I pray, God, that you would help us to seek you in all that we do. I pray that you help us to be faithful uh, in our life to you and be obedient to you. And I pray that you just be with us today as we prepare to partake of, uh, of, of, of communion, dear Lord, and remember who Jesus is and what he did for us, dear Lord. And I pray, God, that you just bless these next few minutes. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.